Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is where we'll be. We're going to look back also at Acts chapter 9, those last two accounts in Acts chapter 9. And uh, we'll start here in Acts chapter 10. I want to begin with a question for all of us to consider as we start our time together. And it's, uh, it's very simply this question. Do you, do you trust God's power in the hard things? So, so do you trust that God has great power even in the midst of tough, de- tough times and, and struggles in our lives? Do we, do we always look to God as that one that has the power to overcome whatever it is that we may be experiencing in our lives. This morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 10, an account that's familiar to all of you, I am certain. And and we're going to see in this account in Acts chapter 10 that God reminds Peter, as he will remind us as well, that he does indeed have the power to overcome many things in our lives. I want us to look at Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. I'm going to read... 9 through 33 this morning. So I want you to follow along with me. It's kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture, but it's necessary for us to get uh, what the account of what's going on here. All right. So Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, says this. It says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called to ask whether Simon, who is called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him. He fell down at his feet. And he worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common, or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. 
I ask then why you sent for me. Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been, get, have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house for Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we ask this morning, uh, Lord, that you would take this passage of Scripture, God, that's been given to us, Lord, and you would help us to see, Lord, the, the reason that this Scripture has been offered to us. God, that you would help us, Lord, to see the lesson that you're teaching Peter, God, the lesson that you're teaching us, Lord, and use your Holy Spirit, God, to convict us, Lord, and to mold us and make us, God, into the people that that you want us to be using this passage of Scripture this morning, God. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. How much power does God have? I like to look at a passage of Scripture. Today it's Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 33. And I like to look at the stories or the accounts that we have before that passage of Scripture and, and the accounts that we have after that passage of Scripture because it helps us to see the context in which we find this passage this morning, Acts 10, 9 through 33. But we see here, obviously, that Peter has an experience as a result of God speaking to him. Cornelius, likewise, is having an experience at the same time that the Lord is speaking to him. And God then brings them together to help them both understand that he has the power to overcome something in their life. But before he gets to that, God is teaching Peter, even before Acts chapter 10, that he has even a greater power than we might ever imagine. Look in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. As Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose and all of the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Before God shows Acts chapter 10 and Peter's vision to Peter... He shows Peter in Acts chapter 9 and verse 32 that God has the power over disease. That's the first point. God has power over disease. This is why we pray, right? It's why we practice the discipline of intercessory prayer because we believe that God has the power to overcome sickness and God has the power to overcome illness. God has the power to overcome disease. It's why we spend time praying and crying out to God for Him to intervene on our behalf. It's because we recognize that we don't have the power to heal and so therefore we are in need of God's power to heal. I understand that for many of those that were living in the New Testament day, this may have been a, a confusing situation to them because they saw Peter come to this man's side and they saw Peter offering what they thought was healing to this man. But Peter recognizes even here himself, it's not he that has the power to heal. It's the Lord that has the power to heal. Look at what he says in verse 34. Peter said to him, 
Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying, it's not in my name that healing is offered to you. It's not in my strength that healing is offered to you. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that you find healing. Yes, Jesus is the one that has the power to offer healing to our lives. God holds the power to offer healing, not Peter. Not you and not I. We don't have this type of power, but God does. You'll remember in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking together to the temple. And as they get to those temple doors, there's a man whose family brings him to the gate every day so that he can beg for money sitting at that gate. And he sticks his hand out or maybe he sticks a cup forward. He's asking for them to give, them, to give him money. And you'll remember what Peter says in Acts chapter 3. Peter says, silver and gold, I have none. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise. And that man, miraculously we are told, goes into the temple jumping and shouting for the healing that he has experienced. Peter acknowledges that it is not within his power that these men are experiencing healing. It is the power of God that offers us power over disease. We believe this. It's why we pray, because we believe that our God is powerful enough to heal disease that comes upon our bodies. You believe this, right? That God has power over disease. The second thing I want you to see is that, that God has power over death. Look at this next account, beginning in verse 36. There was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa, they, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Verse 40. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, gave her his hand, and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all of Joppa. Many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. He has shown us that God has power over disease, and now we see this instance of how God has power over death. This story, to me, is reminiscent of that of Lazarus. You know the account of Lazarus. Lazarus has died and Jesus gets word that Lazarus is dying. But before he gets there, before he gets to Lazarus, Lazarus passes away. We are told that Lazarus had been dead for such a time that his body had already began to stink. They put him in a tomb. When Jesus finally arrives to where Lazarus is, you know the sisters catch him. And the sisters say to Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. You hear what the sisters are saying? 
We believe you have power over disease. If you had been here, you could have spoken Lazarus' disease away from him and he would still be living. But Jesus is going to show them that he not only has power over disease, but he also has power over death. So he looks to that tomb where Lazarus is buried and he says, Lazarus, rise. And we know that Lazarus comes out from that grave and he comes out alive just like Tabitha was alive. It was the voice of Jesus that offered life back into the lungs of Lazarus. And I want you to be sure to hear here. It is the power of God that offered life back inside of Tabitha. Look at verse 40. Peter put them outside. Listen, don't miss it. He knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he, say, he said, Tabitha, arise. You see, Peter recognizes that he does not have the power to overcome Tabitha's death. He does not have the power to overcome the death of this woman. She was dead. It tells us clearly in the Scripture that she had died. She had died and they washed her body and they put her body up where it could be seen and everybody could come to the visitation. There were people there visiting and mourning and showing off all the gifts that Tabitha had given to her because Tabitha was dead. But then Peter knelt down and prayed to God. Peter didn't say, in the name of Peter, Tabitha, rise. Peter knelt down and he interceded on behalf of Tabitha. And we can assume that he said something like, God, in your power, just as you resurrected Lazarus from the dead, God, in your power, will you raise Tabitha from the dead? And God's power was again on display before the people of God because God has power over disease, but God also has power over death. It's why whenever someone dies whether we go to the graveyard and stand over their casket or we wheel them in this place and sit them in the front of this room. We stand here and we say things like, death has been swallowed up in victory. We declare things like death has no sting. Death has no victory in our lives because God has the power to overcome death. God's power overcomes disease. God's power overcomes death. And then we get to Acts chapter 10. And while all of us would believe that God does in fact heal us of our diseases and God does in fact give us eternal life even beyond this life, we may have a more difficult time understanding the power of God in Acts chapter 10 than we do in Acts chapter 9. Because you see, what God is going to show Peter in Acts chapter 10 is that God has power over differences. That God has power over differences, that humanity has been created and we all are not alike. And God has the ability for us to overcome those differences that we have We've talked a lot the last few weeks, if you've been 
watching with us. We've talked a lot about conversion. We talked about the, 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 the attempted conversion of Simon the magician who would not repent of his sins. We talked about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. We talked about the amazing conversion experience of Saul, who went from Saul to Paul, from an enemy of the cross to a friend of the cross, who went from the persecutor to the one that was being persecuted. We looked at these amazing conversion experiences, the Ethiopian and Saul, and we said, man, what great power God has in our conversions. And certainly, it is a great power that saves us from our sins. It is a great power that resurrects us from dead in our trespasses to alive in Christ. It is a great power that washes away all of our sin. It is a great power that cleanses us white as snow. That is a great power. But this conversion experience of Peter beginning in verse 9 is what some commentators call Peter's second conversion experience. Because here... Peter's world is going to be turned upside down once more. Peter was a good Jew. Peter was a good Jew. Peter understood as a good Jew there were certain things you didn't do. Peter understood as a good Jew there were certain places you did not go. Listen, Peter understood as a good Jew there were certain people you didn't associate yourself with. Peter understood that there were certain people that you ought not be seen with as a Jew. And so here, God is giving him a vision, and at the same time, he is giving a Gentile man a vision. At the same time, God is working in both of those lives to bring these two lives together, this Jew and this Gentile, these two people who, according to all of the worldly standards, ought not be able to come together. God is bringing these two together. God is saying to Peter, Peter, the gospel is bigger than just the Jew. Listen in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You shall be my witnesses, or you will be my witnesses. Where does he say? In Jerusalem, the Jew. In Judea, the Jew. In Samaria, and the ends of the earth. God is convincing Peter here, and he needs to remind us as well that the gospel is not just for a certain segment of society. It is not just for a certain segment of people. The gospel is for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And dear church, we ought to be so grateful that it is because you and I, we are those very Gentiles that the Jews would not associate themselves with. But praise be to God that the gospel has been opened up not just for the Jew, but also for those that the Jew would call unclean. That Peter says, you yourselves know, look at verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. It is absolutely impossible 
to read this passage of Scripture, to study Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 33, and not see inside of this passage an issue of race. You can't ignore it. That's what Jesus, that's what the Lord is telling Peter. Peter, the gospel is bigger than just your race. Peter, the gospel is bigger than just Jerusalem and Judea. Peter, the gospel is bigger than just your people for this time. You cannot read this passage and not see that what God is doing is He is saying not only is the Jew precious, not only did I send Jesus for the Jew, but I sent Jesus for the Gentile, the Samaria. I sent Jesus for Cornelius. The gospel is bigger than our race. And we ask ourselves, we trust God in disease that he's able to overcome it. We trust God in death that he is able to overcome it. But do we trust that God is able even to overcome the differences in our lives? Can he overcome the differences in our skin color? The Ethiopian eunuch would say yes. Praise God, the conversion experience that we saw were not just Jews. We saw an Ethiopian eunuch. And God said, the gospel is for him. And he says, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Here's water, and he steps down in it, and he is saved. Do you see that Peter should not have been associating with this class of people? Peter should not have been associating with Cornelius, and yet God is saying to him, I am bigger and my gospel is larger than just one nation and just one race. There is no prejudice underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I say again, we ought to be grateful because you and I are not Jews. We are the second and third class, according to a Jewish man. Praise God, he saved the Samaritans. Three things a Jewish man would thank God for. Thank you, God, that I'm not a dog. Thank you, God, that I'm not a woman. And thank you, God, that I am not a Samaritan. But it was the very Samaritans that Jesus proclaims in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before his ascension. It is the Samaritans, and it is the ends of the earth, even into Ethiopia, that the gospel must be pressed forward. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for Jews to associate or to visit with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. We live in a world today where we are divided by many different things. We're divided by our political class. We're divided by our socioeconomic class. We are divided by the color of our skin. And yet Jesus says, God proves to us that his gospel is bigger than the color of our skin, our political class, and our socioeconomic rankings. The gospel has to be bigger than that. You trust him in healing disease. You trust him in resurrecting from the dead. Do you trust him? to overcome our differences. 
certainly we need to recognize that the propensity to discriminate against other people, regardless if it's politics, socioeconomic, or color of skin, it is a result of humanity's sinful, fallen nature. It is a sin that we need to acknowledge, that we need to fight in our own lives, just like all other sins in our lives. It needs to be fought, a hard-fought battle. But even no matter what our sin might be, aren't you grateful that God teaches us in His Word that no matter the sin that we fight, even if it's the sin of differences, no matter the sin that we fight, that the gospel of Jesus is better that His mercy is more than our sin that we commit. His mercy is greater than all of the sins that we have in our hearts. Aren't you glad that the gospel was big enough to go beyond Jerusalem and to even go into your heart and into my heart? If we believe, if we truly believe that God has power over the disease... God has power to restore life to those that are dead. Certainly we can align ourselves with Peter and we can even say that God has the power to overcome our differences and be united no matter race, no matter socioeconomics. We can be united underneath the gospel. Gandhi, you know Gandhi. Gandhi is a famous Buddhist. Gandhi is famous for saying... Your Christ I like. It's your Christians that I don't. Gandhi was living in India, and India, you know, has a caste system. India has a socioeconomic ranking system, and wherever you fall inside of that socioeconomic ranking system determines what buildings you can go into, what buildings you can't go into, when you can go there and when you cannot go there, what you're supposed to do if you meet someone of a higher class on this road. All, all, of, these, all of these things are included in this socioeconomic ranking system. The story is told that Gandhi had heard there was a Christian church in his town in India. And Gandhi thought... I hear that those churches have no prejudice. I hear that those churches have no prejudice, that Christians have no prejudice, and yet Gandhi walked to the front doors of that church and he was told he could not enter that Christian church. Gandhi could not go into the place where the gospel was preached because of his socioeconomic level. Gandhi died a Buddhist which means he died lost, which means he died without Jesus. If we believe God has the power over disease and over death, certainly we can believe he also has the power over differences. This is the challenge Peter gives us in Acts chapter 10. Three ways you can respond. Maybe you've trusted in God's power in our time away from one another. You've trusted in his salvation and you just need to make it known this morning. You can come and make that known this morning. Maybe, maybe you need God to help your heart believe that God has power over disease. Maybe you need God to help your heart believe that, you, that he does have power over death. Maybe you need God to help your heart believe that he does have power over the differences inside our race. Maybe you need to confess to the Lord that you need help in these areas. I think also today's a good day for us as the church 
to pray for our nation. As we are certainly in need of God's people to humble themselves and pray to their God on a number of fronts. We need God's people to surrender to Him and follow Him in obedience. God, be with us, Lord, as we worship. God, I believe that you have power over disease. God, I believe you have power over death. And God, I believe that you can overcome our differences. But God, what you need us to do is to trust in that power. To declare, Lord, even today that we're not going to let race, we're not going to let skin color, we're not going to let socioeconomics, we're not going to let politics divide us because the gospel is more powerful than all of those things. And praise God it is, or this Gentile would still be without the gospel. Be with us as we sing this morning. We pray and ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.